you to turn with me this morning to Luke 15. While you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Please uh, don't forget that coming up in two weeks, two weeks from today, we have our uh, Celebrate America. Uh, we are having one service that day, so one 1045 service. Uh, we are, uh, if you know any veterans, we're going to honor all of our veterans on that day. We have barbecue lunch afterwards. So it's one of my favorite days of the year. Um, and, and I want to encourage you, if you know veterans or have veterans in your family, bring them to church. Um, and, and we want to honor them. Cut me down just a bit. i got a ring. Uh, and, and, and so help us out. Uh, our special guest that day is former POW uh, Jessica Lynch. Uh, we're excited to have her with us. And uh, you'll get to see her story. Uh, but again, it's, it's one of those days that, listen, I believe, I still believe there's good in our nation. I believe that we have, a, we have good bones and a good heritage, and I believe we have a good God. And, and the Chronicler told us what needs to happen. So I'm just praying that we see revival, uh, and, and so help us out as we honor God and country on that particular day. Uh, there was something else, and it just eludes me. So, oh yeah, so uh, that's two weeks from today, three weeks from today. We're going to be starting our brand new summer series. I've been talking about it, Hot Topics for Hot Times. We're going to be looking at some of the relevant and current issues facing our country, and we're going to see what God's Word has to say about it. How many understand it's very important with everything that's going on in our world that we get God's perspective? Listen, there's two ways that you can view the world. We have lenses that we can view the world. We can view it through, through, through our experiences of contemporary society, or we can view it through Scripture. And we all need to cultivate a biblical worldview, particularly as it relates to modern uh, uh, social constructs and things of that nature. So that's coming up in a few weeks. Let's go ahead and get into our word this morning. Thank you again for your faithfulness and in, in giving. And again, our ministry continues. We continue to do so many different things. Uh, uh, food, continue, food ministry continues. And we're just excited about all the opportunity. Um, this morning, what a dad. What a dad. Luke chapter 15, one of, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, it talks about three lost things. And, and I wanna, I'm not going to read the entire narrative there. Verse 11, we'll read a couple and drop down. Verse 11 says, Then he said, Jesus here, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living or riotous living or stupidity, whichever way you want to slice it. Verse number 22, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Again, as I said, you know, happy Father's Day to all of our dads, and I pray that this is a day that you feel loved and appreciated. Uh, and, and again, I, I know that uh, recently I spent several weeks, we've been, I, I did a series called Family Matters, and we unpacked many of the nuances about what it means to be a family. We talked about individual roles and responsibilities. Remember, if you want a, a strong biblical family, it begins with each member's relationship with God. Husband's relationship with God, wife's relationship with God, parents' relationships with God. It's important. Uh, but, but I do want to take another moment today because it being Father's Day, and I want to talk about dads. I'm just going to give you an honest disclosure right here. I love being a man. Come on, guys, help me out. You got, you got it. This is where we're at. Hoo, 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 you know, I, I love being a man. I, I love the simplicity of masculinity. Now, I know, I know some of the ladies are like, what are you talking about simplicity? You guys, especially if you get sick. <laughs> but I like the simplicity of masculinity. For instance, I mean, being a man, a phone conversation is over in 30 seconds. Ooh. <laughs> A five-day vacation requires one bag. Come on. Or a backpack. We can do it. Gray hair and wrinkles only adds character to a man. How about this one? If another guy shows up at the party with the same outfit, you just might become lifelong buddies. 
I like being a man. <laughs> I read a story about a guy that was on his way home from work, and he, his wife had asked him to stop by the grocery store to pick up a couple of items. And so he stops in the grocery store, and he, as he goes in, so oftentimes, how many of you ever gone through the grocery store and you pass somebody multiple times? So this guy's going through the grocery store, and, and, and he passes this one particular individual over and over again. It was a dad trying to shop with an unco uncooperative three-year-old boy. Yeah, some of you have been there. So, so the first time they passed in the aisle, the three-year-old was asking over and over again his dad for a candy bar. Now, the man couldn't hear the entire conversation, but he did hear the father say, Now, Billy, this won't take long. As they passed on the next aisle, the three-year-old, this time, his, pl his pleas had increased several octaves. And now dad is quietly saying, Now, Billy, just calm down. We'll be done in a minute. When they passed near the dairy case, the kid now was screaming uncontrollably. Dad was keeping his cool and in a very low voice kept saying, Billy, now settle down. We're almost done. The dad and the son finally reached the checkout line and this time the, the, the boy continued to scream and, and, uh, and, and, and the boy was kicking and screaming and the dad still very calm, cool and collected and very calmly just said, Billy... We'll be in the car in a minute and everything will be okay. Well, that guy was very impressed. In fact, he was impressed beyond words that that dad kept his composure. After paying for the groceries, he hurried out to catch the man uh, and, and, and just wanted to comment on how wonderful and what an example of self-control that he provided. And he said, uh, he tapped the man on the shoulder and he said, Sir, I couldn't help but watch how you handled little Billy and how calm, cool, and collected you were. And the guy looks at him and says, you don't get it, do you? I'm Billy. <laughs> See, some of, some of you can relate to that. <laughs> listen, listen we, we live in a time where it seems the importance of fatherhood has been minimized. And unfortunately, in some cases, it's even been eradicated. It's been erased. Uh, altogether. Fatherhood, in my opinion, needs to be reinstated to the level that God intended for it to be uh, in the beginning, right? Like I said previously in our family series, as the family goes, so goes society. Much of what you see played out on the nightly news is a there's a direct correlation between what's happening in the homes of America. When you start having absentee fathers and when you start having uh, so many single-family households, you're going to have issues, and so a lot of the things that we have in our society today, again, is a direct relationship to the breakdown of the, uh, the nuclear family, the traditional family. And, and, and again, today, uh, with all of the gender confusion and the discussion about who can be pregnant, who can't be pregnant, we need a revival in masculinity. And I, I'm, again, I'm not here to get on a soapbox. I'm just, we'll be talking about some of these topics in our Hot Topic series. But listen, we need to understand that God made men for a reason. God made men special. And, and I know that men have been shamed, and I know that men have been emasculated. And, 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 and if you see, again, if you look at any sitcom, most of the time men that are portrayed, fathers in particular, are, are bumbling idiots. They're made fun of, they're laughed at and ridiculed. And, and I just simply say to the church as Christians, we, as Christian men, we need to set the example of what masculinity should, should be about. I'm not ashamed of being a man. I'm not ashamed of my masculinity. There, I, God made me that way. Uh, listen, there are many, as you start reading the Scripture, there are many exemplary fathers that we find in Scripture. But I want to use a dad that most of us are very, very familiar with. This dad is the father of the prodigal son. Now, Jesus tells the story of a father who had a rebellious son. He was a good father. And yet this son makes some awful mistakes, some very poor decisions uh, in his growing up. Most parents today will have to deal at some point in their life with a, with a rebellious child. It may not be at the level of the prodigal son, but most of us will have that experience. There's a pretty good chance that at some point in your child's life, you're going to have to deal with some type of rebellion in one form or the other. Am I telling the truth? You know, if you live there. So, so the reason I chose this story is because this father figure gives us a powerful example, gives us some wonderful lessons of what to do and how we should, as fathers, invest in our children so that, uh, uh, that we can help them through their rebellion. So let me give you three things real quick this morning. The first thing this father teaches us, uh, lay, a, lay a solid foundation. 
lay a solid foundation. Now, again, most of us have heard this story. If you've been in church any length of time, even it makes secular storytelling. If you, you, this is a wonderful story. And we've heard it all, we've heard it a long time. The son comes to his father and he says, Dad, I want you to give me my inheritance. Now, how many understand what an inheritance is? You receive that inheritance when? After the death of the father. So, so right away, you see this child is disrespecting his father by coming to him and saying, Dad, give me, I can't wait for you to kick the bucket. Give me what's mine. Now, you got to understand in this culture, that was evil. I mean, that was one of the highest forms of evil right there. In fact, the Old Testament law made provisions for a rebellion. You weren't rebellious in those days. If you were, you could be punished quite, in fact, you could be killed. It was a capital offense in those days. Rebellion against parents was not heard of, and it was not permitted. So this son violates cultural norms at that moment, comes up to his dad, said, Dad, I want my inheritance. Uh, the dad, you know, the dad could have uh, swiftly punished him, but his dad obliged him and gave him his portion, and off he goes. Now, here's the thing. This dad was no fool. This dad knew exactly what was going to happen when he gave his son his inheritance. He knew. But he allowed this son to make his foolish decisions. Now, this dad, one of the things about this dad was he was a good dad. And the reason I say he was a good dad, look at what verse 17 says. It says, when, this is talking about the son, says, when he came to his senses. Now, that's indicative of a good dad. What do I mean by that? Well, this father was diligent to teach and train his son. He, put, he built a foundation for his son to, to build his life upon. He built a firm foundation uh, so by his dad, his dad made sure to instruct him so that the son would have senses to come back to. I mean, again, if that dad didn't invest in him, teaching him right, wrong, teaching him character, teaching how to be fair and how to be honest and how to be an honorable person, when he hit rock bottom, he would have no recourse. But this father invested in him and taught him from the time he was born. And so now when he's off in the far off country, when he gets to the bottom, he comes to his senses because dad had laid a foundation for him. Dad, dad had invested in him. See, this is our job, dads. Our job is to make sure that our children have senses to come back to. It's our job to give them a good foundation for living their lives. Again, I, I know it can be frustrating. You could be like Billy <laughs> with a three-year-old uncooperative boy going through the grocery store. But that's something that's necessary because you've got to set those guardrails, particularly close when they're young, and as they grow and mature, you expand those. You give them more responsibility. You've got to trust them. You've got to build that foundation of making wise decisions. This father did that. This father did that. The prim- Listen, do you know the primary characteristic, characteristic of a dysfunctional family? Here it is. There's no norm. The primary characteristic of a dysfunctional family is that children have to grow up with no sense of what normal is. They don't know. They don't, they don't know what norm is. When, when home life is erratic and unpredictable, they assume that everybody has it. I mean, think about it. You know, they, they assume that all parents yell and scream at each other 24 hours a day. They assume that all families, family conversations end with the slamming of the door because they think that's what everybody does. They assume that all fathers are gone all of the time because that's what they experience. They lack a solid foundation. They, they have to guess what normal is because they've never seen normal. That's why it's important that dads, that you are attentive to them, that you lay a foundation, that you build a foundation for them to be able to come back to their senses. The older they get, if they grow up in a dysfunctional home, the more likely they are to deviate from the pathway. Fathers, this is where you can make a significant contribution. You can build for your children a foundation that will last a lifetime. I told the early service when I ran away from home at 17 years of age, a junior in high school, my dad didn't pursue me. My dad didn't berate me, didn't belittle me. My dad was there for me, but he never, he allowed me to make the foolish decision. And I'm where I am today because my dad helped me because he laid a foundation. I came to my senses. Invest in them. 
you can make sure they have senses to come back to. What kind of foundation do your children need? Well, number one, they need to know that they're loved. I talked about that in our family series. Your children need to know that. Don't just say, well, I love you, and, and, and just assume that that's good for the rest of their lives. Tell them every day. Tell them every day. Let them know that you, that you love them. Show them that you love them. I, again, I advocate hugs. Dads, there's nobody give a bear There's nobody give a big hug like you. Give them big hugs. Kiss them. Tell them you love them. I, I know for some guys this is difficult, but listen to me. Your children need it. They need it. And I don't think they ever outgrow it. They still need mom and dad to say, I love you. Number two, they need to know that they're not alone. I'm going to tell you something that doesn't come as a surprise, and it's not profound, but I'm going to say it anyway. We live in a nutty world. It's absolutely crazy right now. And our children are having to deal with things that you and I have no comprehension of what it is to struggle in those areas. They're getting pressure from their entertainment. They're getting pressure from their devices. They're getting pressure from the schools and their peers. They're hearing it all the time, things that run diametrically opposed to the gospel message that we proclaim, and they're struggling with it. And they need to know that someone is there for them in their corner. They Be there for them when they struggle. Be there for them when they're, when they're hurting. They need to know that they're not facing these challenges alone. Listen, it's not about solving their problems. It's about letting them know that you're in their corner and that you can believe. Again, as they get older, you need to expand those guardrails. You need to let them know, hey, you can get through this. You can do this. I mean, you think about a father and a daughter when, the, when that first boyfriend breaks her heart. You know, what's the first thing a dad wants to do? Um, you, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll move on from that one. But dad doesn't do anything. You know, they need to know that you're with them. They're, they're, they're not alone. The third thing is, they, the, the third foundation is they need to know right from wrong. Listen, it's not time for us to allow our children to lick their fingers, stick it up in the air and see which way the wind blows and follow suit. We need to instruct them. Deuteronomy 6 says, teach them. The commandments of the Lord. Teach them when you're sitting at home, when you're lounging, when you're at the table, when you're walking. Put them on the door frames of your house. Hide them in your heart. Put them everywhere. Let them know. Give them instruction. J. Edgar Hoover said this one time. I love this. I quote. He's talking to the nation. Here's what he said. Send your children to Sunday school so they don't end up in reform school. (laughs) End quote. That's good stuff. I would change it a little bit. I wouldn't say send them. I would say come with them. Come with them. You know, send them to Sunday school so they don't, they don't end up in reform school. Wouldn't that be a novelty? We take Bibles out of the school and then we get ministries to go and put them in the jails. Oh, get me started there. <laughs> you know, that's certainly a start. But listen, they need those Sunday school values lived out at home. They need them lived out at home. Children need a foundation upon which they can build their lives. That's, it's like the prodigal son. What helped him find his way home uh, was the fact that he came to him, his senses because dad had invested in him and gave him senses to come back to. That's what our jobs are, dad. He had grown up in an environment that had taught him in the first place. He knew what normal was. And as he sat there in the pigsty, uh, wallowing in the slop of the pigs, he, he knew that there was a better place. There was a better living than he was living on his own. See, at some point, now listen, we all experience this. At some point, your children are going to insist on going their own way, and, 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 and it's going to frustrate you to no end. In the process, they're probably going to make several foolish mistakes. I hope it never happens, but if it does, keep this in mind. The foundation that you build right now will be invaluable for the time when they find themselves in the pigsty. Lay a solid foundation, dads. Number two, set the example. You know, I always cringe when I hear somebody say, do what I say, not what I do. You want to talk about the height of hypocrisy? That's it right there. We talk about how valuable church involvement is, how important church involvement is, how important it is to do our devotions, things like that, and yet we ourselves neglect it and we expect our children to follow suit, to do something different. I'm just telling you this morning, you need to set an example for your children. How else are they going to learn? I promise you, Hollywood's teaching them them values. The music industry's preaching them values. The athletes are preaching values. What are you giving them? What are you giving them? 
Again, the prodigal son came to his senses. And notice what he says in verse 17 again. He, again, he comes to himself. And here's what he thought. Here's the first thing he thinks of. He says, how many of my father's hired, hired men have food to spare, and I'm sitting here starving to death? So he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now here's what that scripture says. This dad not only was a good dad because he built a foundation, this dad gave him an example. Because when that boy sits, is sitting in this pigsty, the first thing he does, he realizes that his dad was a fair man. That's, that, that's what's going on here. The, he has the epiphany that, hey, wait a minute, my dad, you know, every one of us have this idea when you grow up, you think your dad is prude and you think he doesn't know much and you think all these things am i telling the truth i i ran away from home because i threw, i thought i knew more than they did now I, i've got many years of, 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 of perspective now i can look back 40 years ago and see how stupid i was but at that time i thought i was pretty smart so so the first thing this guy thinks of is hey wait a minute my dad's servants have it better than i do I mean, why am I sitting here in this pigsty when my father's house, there's plenty of it to eat. He's a fair man. So he makes his decision to go home. And you understand this. He makes his decision to go home based on what he knew about his father. That was what caused him to go home, was because he knew his dad was a good man, that his father was an honorable man, a man of honor, a man of, of character. He knew that his father would at least treat him like one of his slaves. And he was okay with that he realized how evil he had done i mean think about this what if the son wouldn't have had that type of example at home what if this dad wasn't a, a an exemplary father at all i mean imagine if he had said something like this i'd like to go home but what if my dad treats me like he treated the insurance company or what if my dad humiliates me the way he humiliates his employees or what if my dad turns his back on me the way I've seen him turn his back on others who have disappointed him? Listen, whether you believe it or not, your children notice how you treat others. Be careful when you drive with them in your car. Right? I've shared this story with you before, but I had to repent of it. Back years ago, some of you remember Josie? We had a foreign exchange student from East Germany at that time. She, it was now Germany, but we were taking her to a ball game. I won't ever forget this because it was one of those lessons that you learn. We're taking her to a ball game, and, and I do pretty good. I'm a pretty patient kind of guy, um, pretty easygoing. I mean, there are very few things. You know, I used to be very quick-tempered, but now I'm, it takes a lot to really get me riled up. But, I did, you know, but driving is another story. I, I just wish everybody else would learn how to drive. Amen. See, some of you have been on the same roads I have. <laughs> so, so I'm driving to the ball to, to, to the Ranger game. We're taking her to experience a major league baseball game. And this young girl, maybe just got her license or whatever, she, she passes me and cuts me off. Well, I thought, you joker, you. So what do I do, being the strong male that I am and the, the exemplary father? I gun my vehicle and pass her. Well, then that makes her mad. And she guns hers and passes me, and then I get mad and I do it again. Now we're playing leapfrog. I get, she gets mad because I passed her, and she passes me and gives me a universal sign of friendship. <laughs> well, now... Now, this southern-born South Alabama boy is getting really irritated. And I, set, I hit that thing in passing gear, and I pull out beside her. And right away, the Holy Spirit, don't you just, just right in the, right, the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of me. And I look in the rearview mirror, and I see my foreign exchange student who, who again, East German, they had no concept of God. I see her through my rearview mirror, and I see my children in the back seat. And here I am getting angry at a little girl for passing me multiple times. And so I'm there. What do I do in the moment? The only thing I could think of was I go, <laughs> just like that. 
they're cracking up. The girl's just really angry. She's infuriated. She probably, she could do road rage. She probably would have run over me several times, backed up and done it again. But I got convicted of that. I thought, what kind of example is that? Our children watch us. They see us when we make snide comments about a rude waitress. Listen, they see it. It affects them by how you treat other people, right? Again, I'm not saying this dad was a pushover, okay? I don't think he was. But his son knew that that his, his dad was a fair man, that he was a man of honor, that he would be treated respectfully. You know, listen, dads, I'll just be honest with you, being a pushover is probably as bad as being a bully. I really believe that. A parent who allows themselves to be cajoled and persuaded by their children is doing, I think, tremendous damage to their emotional well-being. Because what you're teaching that child is manipulation. You're teaching them how to manipulate, and if they're not corrected, then they're going to try to manipulate. Instead of coming clean and honest about their life and things, the decisions that they make, the poor choices, they're trying to manipulate things to get a, 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 a good outcome. This dad wasn't a pushover. This dad knew what was going to happen. And yet the thing I liked about it, this story, one of the things I love about this story, is the dad allowed him to go. Again, I see myself in this story. My father allowed me to go. He never pursued. The only thing my dad ever said to me when I left home, I never went back. I never went back. I I went ahead and finished school, graduated high school, went off into the military. I didn't go back. My dad, the only thing my dad ever said to me was, boy, I didn't raise you to be like that. I didn't raise you to be like that. But there was a foundation that he laid for me that had fruit in 1985 in a barracks in San Antonio, Texas, when I recommitted my life to Christ. Amen. See, this father, gives a, his story gives us a great example of fairness. And this was an example that this son could cling to, even in the darkest moments. And I believe if you want to be an effective father, deal with your children the same way that your heavenly father deals with you. Be fair to your children. He wasn't a bully, nor was he a pushover. That's an example our children need to see. They need to see strong biblical masculinity. That's strong, but they also need to see this last thing, number three, show forgiveness. Show forgiveness. When the prodigal son came to himself and he remembered how wonderful his dad really was. Isn't it amazing? Uh, Mark Twain one time said, when I was 14, he said, I thought my dad, my paraphrase, he said, I thought my dad was the dumbest man on the planet. When I was 21, I was amazed at how much my father had learned. And I think we all have that kind of experience. We, as teenagers, again, we, we, we explore and we think we know everything. And as we get older, we look back and we see the incredible wisdom that our parents have. My dad didn't, gradu- my dad didn't finish ninth grade, but my dad was one of the smartest men I've ever met in my life. My dad, my dad would, every time he sat down when he wasn't falling asleep, he was reading a book. My dad knew more about things. I was amazed. I was amazed at his knowledge and wisdom. That prodigal son, when he decided to go home, he thought about his dad. He knew that, there, again, he had had a foundation and he had an example. And he said, you know what? I'm going to go home. Because at least if I can go home and be a servant, at least it's better than what I'm doing right now. And you see, the father did something that was pretty incredible. In fact, it was, it was uh, culturally unexpected and probably unaccepted. I told the early service, this is kind of the way I pictured this scene right here. This dad, this dad knew what was going to happen. When that boy came and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. The dad already knew what was going to take place. Dad obliged. He could have, he could have disciplined him severely, but he didn't. He obliged him, gave him his income, his, his inheritance, and off he went. And I like to picture this father. Now, can you imagine in that culture, again, that was disrespectful. That was a height, the height of evil. Can you imagine it was a small community? Could you imagine that the people of the town probably, for however many years that was, the, pro- the, the town probably said, why did you do that? Why did you give in to that boy? Why didn't you bring him out here? Why didn't you let us take care of that? You know we can't tolerate that kind of stuff. He probably heard that over and over and over again. But I pictured in my mind this dad. Listen, I know sometimes you may not have had a, an earthly father that, uh, that measured up, and maybe, again, dads, sometimes we have dropped the ball tremendously. This dad represents our heavenly father. Listen, if your earthly father didn't measure up very well, you have a heavenly father that exceeds all expectations. 
That's what this story illustrates right here. This dad, I picture this dad when this boy uh, came and said, Dad, give me my stuff. Dad gave it to him, and, and off he went. And I, I believe the dad stood there at that moment and watched him and watched his silhouette shrink as he moved further and further away until he could no longer see him. I believe that father, as industrious as he probably was, every evening when he came home from his, to his toils of the day, probably sat on the porch with a, a lemonade in one hand in that rocking chair, praying for his wayward son that had gone off and probably kept looking to the horizon. Every day saying, God be with my boy. I don't know where he, they didn't have text back then. Maybe the boy had tried to send a smoke signal to him, maybe, I don't know. But however long that was, dad hadn't seen him. There was no Paul Revere, there was no mail, there was none of that stuff. I believe every day that dad sat there and he looked out and he said, God, be with my boy. Be with my boy. I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know what's going on, but I don't think it's going to be well. Just be with my boy. And he sat there until the sun no longer shined, looking, expecting. Wouldn't you like to have been there that day? As he'd done so many times, he comes out and he sits down in that chair and he has his lemonade and he's drinking, praying for his boy and he looks out and he sees a very, very tiny speck. Now he didn't have that eyesight that could zoom in like a Superman or something like that, but when he saw that speck in the distance, his heart leapt. And he said, that's my boy. He's coming home. He's coming home. And that dad, you got to understand in that culture, it was such an evil that this boy did. That dad knew that when that boy came walking through town, that everybody in town probably, it would have created a ruckus. And they probably would have gathered out in the street as he comes down Main Street. Maybe they would have thrown stones at him. I don't know, that was permissible. But for sure they were going to hurl insults, insults at, his, at his boy call him names and shame him. And I promise you, the boy is not walking home like this. The boy's walking with shame and guilt because he knew he'd done evil. He's walking with his head bowed. He doesn't see the dad, but the dad sees him. And that dad gets up when he sees that speck. And the Bible says he pulls up his britchy legs exposed his ankles in that culture even today it's disrespectful to do that first time i went to israel i cooked my feet up on the coffee table it wasn't but just a moment somebody one of the hotel uh, employees came over there and said get your feet off the table it's a shame to show the bottom of your feet that dad pulls up his britches and he takes off running through town what is this dad doing this dad knew, knows this boy is defeated. He knows the boy is at the bottom of the bottom. Life had dealt him a horrible hand through the choices that he made. And he knew the townspeople would not be kind to him. So what does he do? He says, you know what? I'll take his shame upon myself. And he exposes his legs and he runs through town. And the Bible says, look at what it says here in verse 20. It said, he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Kissed him. The son begins that speech that he had practiced all the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I love this. The dad didn't wait to hear the rest of it. He stopped him mid-sentence and he said, Quick, bring the robe. Bring the ring, bring the shoes. Shoes are symbolic of slaves didn't wear shoes. He said, son, no, you're not coming back as my slave. You're coming back as my son. The ring was a, a sign of authority. You're coming back, son. You know what this story does? This story tells me that we have a heavenly father. Again, our, our earthly fathers may not have measured up to what we would want in a dad. But we have a heavenly father who roams to and fro looking looking for that one. Remember, Luke 15 tells three lost things. It tells about a lost sheep, a lost coin, 
and a lost son. And in every one of those instances, what was lost was searched for and found except for the prodigal who came to himself and he came. Where do you find the father? You, fo- you find the father willing to receive him back home. That is a picture of our heavenly father who looks at us and we've gone our way. The Bible says we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Each and every one of us has the guilt and shame of sin. We come to the father. We didn't come like this saying, hey, I'm one of yours. I got the ring. I got the clothes. No, we come with our heads bowed in shame because we, once we were dead in our trespasses and sin, once we were, Paul gave, he said, and such were some of you. You were adulterers. You were fornicators. You were liars. You were all of these things. But Jesus took all the shame. (laughs) He was the atoning sacrifice at Calvary. He was the propitiation of our sin. The Bible says he took the handwritten ordinance that was against us and he he nailed it to the cross, taking upon himself what was rightfully ours to bear. And he says, you're no longer a slave. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I welcome you. See, that's the story of Father's Day. Dads, listen, when your children make mistakes, and by the way, they will, don't you stand there and fold your arms and say, well, you just proved me wrong. Prove it to me, and then I'll forgive you. Don't you dare. Treat them the way your heavenly Father would treat you. Paul said in the family code, he said, fathers, do not exacerbate exacerbate your children. That means don't unnecessarily frustrate them. I've seen some dads berating their children. I wanted to slap slap the silly out of them. Like, do you understand what you're doing? Quit talking that negative junk to your children. You call them no good and stupid all their life, and, you, and they grow up and they're no good and stupid. No wonder. You, you spoke it. You called it into existence by your... I'm not, I don't want to go there. I'm saying when that child comes and they say, you know what, I messed up, they don't need more guilt. What would have happened had that boy who was walking, no doubt, with his, with his countenance cast down, what would have happened is that dad would have sat there waiting for him and said, you know what, get down there and grovel. You, you don't deserve to be my boy. You don't deserve to be my son. What would he have done? That's the way sometimes we as dads, that's what we do to our children. We, 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 we heap guilt upon guilt. They don't need that. They need someone who's quick to forgive. Again, I'm not saying being a pushover. I'm just simply saying you teach them. Because your heavenly father, what does he do for us? He freely forgives. Freely you've received, now freely give. In fact, in Isaiah 38, he says, In your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sin behind your back. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, says, Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. If our Heavenly Father deals with us in that capacity, dads, we need to be that forgiving to our children. Listen, they make mistakes throughout their lives. And it's our job to help them. I've always said this, discipline is corrective, not because they frustrate you. If you discipline out of anger, it's abuse. If you discipline to correct, that's what it's all about. And we need it. I'm not, I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying, dads, learn how to build a solid foundation. Guys, come on back as I wrap this up. Forgive them, celebrate with them, throw their sin in. Don't throw it up every time. Every time they do something, they make a mistake. Don't bring up everything they used to be, what they did before. Let it go. Let it go. Like I said, we can't, we can't advance in the future because we're still tied to the past. Our children need to know that they can come and they can be honest with you. They can be honest with their mistakes and that you're quick to forgive and to let it go. Dads, you're indispensable. You're indispensable. I, I love this little poem that I found. Joanne uh, Hybreeder wrote this poem that kind of gives a little bit of interest on dad's many responsibilities. Here's the way she wrote it. Mender of toys, leader of boys. Changer of fuses, kisser of bruises. Mover of couches, soother of ouches. Pounder of nails, teller of tales. Hanger of screens, guide for teens. Fixer of bikes, chastiser of tykes, unless you're Billy. (laughs) Raker of leaves, cleaner of eaves, dryer of dishes, fulfiller of wishes. 
Oh, bless him, dear Lord. Dads, may God bless you today. Build a foundation, set an example, and be quick to forgive their mistakes. They need you. I've told you, I am where I am today because my dad, when I made those boneheaded choices in my life, my dad didn't heap guilt on me. My dad didn't tell me how bad and what a disappointment I was to him. My dad just simply said, boy, I'm praying for you. I think sometimes I'd rather my dad taking a stick and just beat me with it than to just say, boy, I'm praying for you. But I am today what I am. Because my father, my father, he was a firefighter, as you know, for almost 35 years. On the side, he had a business, and my dad, back then, we never had contracts. My dad, my dad, when he would go bid a job and I would be with him, my dad never had triplicate forms of contractual mumbo-jumbo. My dad simply said this, I'll do your job for X number of dollars, and then he stuck out his hand. And he would shake that hand. And I've seen my dad get into situations that he could not foresee in the bidding process. But my dad never raised the bid because he said, I gave him my word and it means something to me. And I watched that. That was my example all my life growing up. I try to live right now. If I give my word, I'll do everything within my ability to keep that word because my father gave me an example he taught me the value of being an honorable man. One of the greatest compliments I've ever had in my life. I was preaching in Alabama several years ago. And a guy came up after service. He said, you're Ed Mizell's son, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. He said, your dad would be proud of you. Your dad would be proud of you. Dad, leave a legacy for your children. Don't be so intimidating and angry and hateful to them where they curse you. Build a foundation, set an example, and be quick to forgive. We have a Heavenly Father who stands right now and says, whosoever will, let him come. Let him come. Be that way with your children. I want you to stand with me this morning. I understand today being one of those days that, again, in a culture that has minimized the nuclear family, in a society that has been plagued with fatherlessness, absentee fathers, there are many that struggle with the idea of a dad celebrating a father. And I understand that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't relate to that because I had a wonderful dad. I had a good dad. But what I would say is get beyond that, your earthly father, know that there is one who is greater than them all. And that is our heavenly father. He's full of love and rich in grace and mercy. And when I blow it, he doesn't cast me out. This story illustrates that we have a father that even when I stray from the path, he's still bidding me to come home. He's still welcoming me when I walk up to him and say, you know what, I'm not worthy to be your son make me a slave. He said, no, you're my boy. You were lost, but now you're found. That's our heavenly father. If you don't have a good earthly father, I would encourage you, look to your heavenly father and rejoice in his goodness. Here's what I want to do in prayer this morning. We have a crisis in our nation in families. And as I sing this morning, I'm just going to ask you, if you're here this morning and maybe you're a grandparent and you see things happening in your, your children's families, maybe you're here today and you've got issues in your own family, maybe there are things that are facing you right now as a family unit, here's what I want to do. While we sing, if you, if you need a miracle in your family, whatever that is, I'm not saying maybe there's drama, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but if you need a miracle in your family, would you as a family come and stand together here and let's pray? Let's pray for revival. You know what? It can happen with us. Revival in the families can happen with us. So 
And if you're online, if you'll comment, say, pray for my family. We'll pray for you. If your family's not with you, but you want to stand in for your family, if you want to stand in for extended family, when we sing, come on down. Let's pray and ask God to do something in our families. Go ahead. Come on, you want to pray? Come on. You need something in your family? Come on. Let it go. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the unmet expectations. Let go of the disappointments. Let go of the letdowns, the failures. It was not I who did that. I am perfect in all of my ways. And I love you with an everlasting love. Embrace my love. I've run to you. I've offered salvation to you. I will throw your sins as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. So do not hesitate because of what has been done. Run to me. Press into me. Draw near to me. And I will draw near to you. I am ready. My arms are open wide. Come. And let us up together, saith the Lord. I want us to sing that again. And if that's you this morning, again, I feel very, very strong. You're hesitating because. Get past the because. And let him be that good, good father. One more time, would you come? Just come lay it out. 
Just come lay it out. Oh, this love so undeniable I, I can hardly speak at peace. So we'll get that healing this morning. Get that healing this morning. Come on, receive the healing. Receive the healing right now. In Jesus' name. You're good, good father. Deeper still as you call. Deeper still, Lord, you call. father tell you that he loves you I want you to know John 3 16 is for you for God so loved your name that he gave his only son for you that's how much you're worth and that's how much he loves you I want to I want to include one more thing in prayer this morning we're just I know you probably have things going on you got lunch that you need dad to buy for you While we were singing that song and praying, I, I just I felt this so much. You may be here this morning and maybe watching online, and maybe you're married to an unbeliever. You say, Pastor, I hear you talking about the virtues of a Christian father, but my husband doesn't believe. I want to challenge you. That's a very difficult place to be. I've down through almost 30 years of ministry, I've met many ladies that have been married to unbelieving husbands the pressure that you experience is almost beyond what we can even comprehend so number one I truly believe that God holds you in special regard because of the struggle that you're having to endure to be the spiritual guide and leader of your, your home when that should be the man so I just want to say stay the course number one Cultivate your relationship with Him. Put God first in your life. Lean on His wisdom. And then show honor and respect your husband. You may not be able to breach that subject of faith and Christianity and all that. It's okay. Live the example in front of Him. Be a godly wife to Him. And allow the work of the Spirit to work through you 
Because you know what? The arm of the Lord's not short that he can't reach. He can touch that hard heart. He can penetrate the most difficult, the, the strongest of walls, and he can call them home. So hang in tough, lady. If you're online this morning, I don't know who that's for, but I'm just saying, hang in tough. Maintain your faith in your relationship with the Lord and let him to pray about your husband and let God take care of it. I promise you, God's got his number and he knows how to get him. Father, today, right now, I thank you for being a good, good father. Thank you for loving me even when I'm unlovable. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that moves upon us in times just like this. Lord, you remind us that the battle doesn't belong to us. You remind us that the weapons of our warfare, not, not, they're not carnal and that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Lord, there's spiritual things going on in our families. Father, you said when the enemy comes in like a flood that you would raise up a standard against him. Lord, over and over again, you told the children of Israel, having done all, stand. I pray that today, as dads, we'd stand for our families. We stand for our marriage, our children. Lord, the family unit, we stand. Lord, give that revival of masculinity. May we be proud to be men that you've called and commissioned for such a time as this. And Father, for those, maybe there's a few ladies that are married to unbelieving husbands. Lord, again, what an immense pressure that is. Father, give them grace. Give them grace upon grace. The ability to stand strong and to cultivate that relationship with you. And then, Father, work through them to be a light in their home, to their children, and to their husbands. Father, I pray a blessing upon our families, upon dads especially today. May we rise to the occasion and be the man that you've been searching for. And Father, I ask you to go with us. Give us a great day today. Strengthen our families and our children, our relationships. Lord, may we be an example that shines brightly in our dark world. Go with us now, I pray. Give us a great day. And should you, Terry, bring us again the next time. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said... Amen. You Thanks for being with us online. I'll see you next time. God bless you and I love ways. you. You are perfect in all of your ways. Lord, you are perfect in all of your ways. To us. Oh, yes, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are
tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I never belong. Cause you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers. 